Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With an AEW full gear instant analysis. That's right, getting over is back once again and it is late Saturday night, so you know exactly what that means. We are here to break down everything that just went down on the 2022 edition of AEW Full Gear, All Elite Wrestling's final pay-per-view of the year. The Silver King is here. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along in a moment, but because it's an instant analysis, we do not waste any time off the top here. Allow me to remind you that this show is So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Give us some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a few moments, leave a written review. Let everyone know how much you love the show. Tell them why they should subscribe. And if you do, we will read those five-star reviews right here on the podcast. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, polls, pre- and post-show for pay-per-views and premium live events that you get to vote in. We will cover those later on tonight's show. Also, news, gifts, videos, every reason in the world, including usually live pre-shows for pay-per-views and premium live events on Twitter spaces. Unfortunately, College Football Saturday, the Silver King Vintage, we did not have the opportunity to do it this week, but those should be coming back very soon. Given this is an instant analysis, a special episode here for Getting Over, we kick this show off with a cold one. I crack one open to enjoy during the show. And this week, I have a fire rescue from Royal Palm Brewing here in South Florida. It's like a coffee cream type of ale. Delicious beer. Very excited to have it. Allow me to welcome in vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, you have a cold beverage with you tonight. Yeah, nothing too nothing too big, but uh, it's it's still kind of fallish. So Angry Orchard Hard Cider. I think I've had that on here before, but uh, you have. It's been a long it's been a long day, man. Not up to my standards of creativity, <laughs> but I do agree. Perhaps this night for this show, we don't need to worry about getting that creative given it has been an extremely long day for both of us in our real life work environment. So we have a ton to get to here as we discuss AEW full gear, 13 matches on the card, 10 on the main show, three on zero hour. And you know what? You know, normally we, we vamp a little bit at the intro here and we we talk about our expectations for the show, whether they delivered. We get into the breakdown, then we give you our grades. We're going to skip that first part. We're going to dive directly into AEW Full Gear Instant Analysis. And on the back end of this show, we will revisit our pre-show expectation grades and give you our final grades for AEW. For any first-time listeners, what you can expect are match breakdowns, storyline breakdowns, uh, grades for the matches, and our thoughts on storylines going forward. Though because of the late hour, we do keep it relatively limited, and certainly we will talk even more about it on our next AEW episode, which will come this Thursday following Dynamite. So Chris, with all of that said, let's jump right into the main event, the AEW World Championship on the line, John Moxley defending against MJF. MJF entered almost with like heel mannerisms, left, then came back out with babyface mannerisms, even literally motorboating a woman on the barricade, that motorboating son of a bitch. Probably a reference you don't get since you don't watch Of course I get that. Okay, well, you, there's a lot of movies you don't see, so what am I supposed yeah, to Yeah, movies that were like when they came out when I was like five. Rounders didn't come out when you were five. When did Rounders come out? I don't know, but you were in five years old. I'm I guarantee it. it. 
You look it up while I keep talking. Uh, so Mox slugged MJF at the bell. MJF did the strut over Mox and then slapped his own ass. After some dominant wrestling by Mox, he grabbed his title for some reason. And MJF sprayed liquid in his face out of his mouth. MJF kissed the title and put the timekeeper's table at ringside. He spent a lot of time through the first 10 minutes really playing up being a babyface and hyping up the crowd. Mox caught MJF coming back inside with a cutter and he got booed for it. MJF caught Mox with a tombstone pile driver on the apron and immediately sold an injured left knee. MJF failed on the apron, so Mox had a pile driver through that table with MJF beating the count at 9.9. Then he kicked out of a paradigm shift. Mox went after the knee with a figure four, but MJF eventually countered into the ropes for a break. MJF hit Heatseeker. Mox came back with a rough avalanche paradigm shift move. Uh, MJF barely got his fingers on the bottom rope after that for the broken fall. Mox screamed for MJF to give him his best shot. So MJF spit in his face and got smacked down for doing so. As fans were chanting for MJF and booing Mox, MJF pulled the referee in between them as Mox charged at him and the referee got knocked out. So MJF pulled the dynamite diamond ring from his tights. That led William Regal to charge down and threaten him. MJF threw the ring at Regal. Then he flicked them off to kind of sell it even extra. Mox tried choking him out and they ran into a second referee, knocking that person out. Mox got the bulldog choke with MJF tapping out, but no one to call it. Regal told Mox to revive the referee. He pointed that there was no one to count the submission. And as Mox turned, Regal slid MJF brass knuckles across the canvas. He punched Mox in the head, slid the knucks into his trunks, and then covered Mox for the one, two, three to become the AEW world champion in 23 minutes. Regal smirked on his way up the ramp as MJF demanded the title and celebrated. They mostly were cheering him despite the swerved baby face turn type of deal. The only thing that the celebration was missing was some type of like exclamation point, like pyro or, or something like that to send the show home on a really hot note. Now there's a ton to unpack here. I said on the ultimate preview that this is exactly how I would book the match if I had the pen. Regal turning heel, MJF bullshitting the entire time about trying to be a face. And guess what? Tony Khan went out there and he pulled a Batista. He gave me exactly what I wanted. MJF is champion. Regal is a heel. BCC is dead, which means the JAS feud is dead. That's like a little extra bonus. The firm was not involved. All perfect. There's a really interesting dynamic coming out of this with MJF being heel, but getting cheered because fans want him to be champion. We're going to have to see that play out on Wednesday. Mox was superb doing the heel switch to play off MJF's fake baby face. He also sold the shit out of the finish. He was laying flat in the ring well after the bell. That was really good on Mox. Now he gets to enjoy his long vacation, hopefully. I thought it was the perfect finish to a tremendous pay-per-view. A big title change like this, I really should have a ton to say, but I just don't really have critiques of it. Like, yes, I could come up with some issues. There were multiple matches that involved weapons in the finish, and, and, and including title changes, sure. Um, why would Regal, if he was going to cheat and help MJF win the entire time, why would he let him get choked out? And the referee could have been revived and counted that as the finish. There's issues, there's holes, they're minor. I thought this was perfectly booked. It was exactly what I wanted on top of being perfectly booked. So you know what? I'm going to let you talk, and I'm just going to drink some beer. Well, you hit about all the scenarios there. You basically just hit me with the, the Eminem uh, say all the things I can possibly say there. But because I have seen that movie, Eight Mile. Um, <laughs> if you did, look, you would have gotten the line right. Look, I lived on a mile. I better have seen that movie. All right, fair. Uh, yeah. So it's 
it's um this the story that they told completely worked, completely made sense. Uh, the booking, all that, it, it totally worked. Great to see MJF as champion. It it all made sense. So I, I'm saying that up front before I get into my nitpickiness. The first part of it, which is actually not nitpickness, but it's me saying he's a face. Like the he, like the fans go nuts for him. You got fans chanting "fuck you, Moxley." I know. I can hear that. <laughs> yeah. Ed, Moxley never gets booed and stuff like that. And, and Moxley did a great job of trying to kind of play into it as the match was going on. If they were hinting at maybe a double turn and then not quite doing it, uh, he adjusted to that well. But just I said this on the preview, but like. People just want to cheer this guy. He's cool. Like he's like he he does dickish things and he's he's a loudmouth and everything. But like he's just cool. And so like you just kind of root for him. And I I'd wanted him to get that face moment to establish him, whatever. And like like you said, the celebration was not quite there. There was no pyro. I know I know he's a heel, so you don't give him pyro when you cheat, maybe or something like that. But just it, it was um. It just wanted a little bit more kind of oomph at the end of it, but mm-hmm. that's something I, I, I didn't I didn't expect it to happen. I, I expected it to him to win as a heel. He's a very very good heel. He's the best in the business. He's a generational talent. I found a tweet of mine from um, March 2019. Might have been the first episode of Dynamite, or might have been the first AEW pay per view that they did. Now is really my first time ever seeing MJF, and I, I tweeted at somebody. This guy's a star. Like I, you could just tell from the beginning that this guy had everything you'd want. Three and a half years later, he's the champ. That's that's great and everything. I just feel like people want to cheer him, and I'm not sure how they're going to work with that going forward. The issue, which we also talked about, there aren't really any other big heels. So if MJF was a face, who would he go up against? It doesn't really make sense. So th- that's the that's the big part there. Last little. This is a nitpick. You mentioned it too, but. The way Regal handed, handled the ring and the brass knucks, he didn't actually, like, cost Moxley anything. Like, he didn't, like, knock the referee out, you know, when, when Mox was going to win or something like that. He, they, 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 they didn't trick Mox. They basically just tricked the fans by having him throw the you know, MJF throws the ring, you, you do the deal, and then he gives him the brass knucks. Like, in theory, why would Regal do that? Why wouldn't he just let him hit, hit him with the ring? Like it, it didn't make any sense. It was just like, and it, it is not like it fooled Moxley or anything. So I just thought that was a little bit weird how that that was handled. But overall, look, he he's a homegrown star, and he's the biggest he's the biggest guy in the company they have moving forward. He's awesome. MJF is good to see him win. Yeah, I mean, I I really wish I had more to say. Like between what I said, between what you said, it pretty much nailed the entire thing. I mean, you know. I, we can talk later when we wrap things up about the title changes on the show and who the champions are in the company right now. And there's many positives to that. There's also, you can make an argument, a couple negatives. But really, again, when we're breaking down this match in particular, it's like, well, the wrestling was good. The booking was good. The creative was good. The right person won. It's like, how do you really go wrong? I actually realized at this point, I went through all that. I didn't even give a grade for the match. And it's a really difficult match to grade because I don't necessarily think the wrestling aspect of it was superb. It's not to say it was bad. Um, you know, I'm kind of doing it off the cuff because I didn't get, write the grade down as soon as the match was over, which is what I normally do. 
So I'm going to go ahead and, and say 4.25 stars and an A for this match. It's really four stars for the wrestling, an extra quarter star for the booking. Yes, it wasn't clean, obviously. But when you have a heel winning and you want to do it in this way, and again, it's my rating, so I get to say whatever the hell I want. They did exactly what I hoped that they would do. You know, they get a little extra credit for it. So I'm going 4.25 stars and an A. Very well done main event and a perfect capper to what this show was from an overall standpoint. Again, we will talk about that in our post-show grade, which will be at the very end of this instant analysis. And Chris, the line that you were looking for just before we move on, it's this guy ain't no motherfucking MC. I know everything he got to say against me. That's what you were trying to say. Yes. Also, 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 Rounders came out in 1998. I was eight. Okay. So you weren't not alive or five years old. It was close. I mean, there's movies. There's, there's, I mean, dude, there's millions of movies that have come out before I was born that I've I seen know that are classic movies. So you should have seen that movie. It's a great <laughs> film. Anyway, especially for guys our age. Anyway, all right. Let's keep going. Uh, interim Women's Championship, Tony Storm uh, defending against Jamie Hayter. This was notably slow, this start. There was a spot where Storm headbutted Hayter in the chest and fell on top of her for a near fall. And she actually legitimately busted her nose open on that move, which was a shock to me. Rebel ran down and drilled Storm in the head with her championship. Hayter followed with her sliding lariat for a 2.9 false finish. Rebel got on the apron with the title for no reason at all, right in front of the referee and got ejected. Storm countered Hayter for a rainmaker. Hayter then avoided a Storm hip attack in the ropes, which... Storm basically flew through the ropes ass first outside. Uh, Britt Baker ran down from out of nowhere in a hoodie and did a stomp on Storm into her title at ringside. Referee didn't see it. Baker threw Storm back inside. Hater hit Storm zero for another 2.9 false finish. Storm countered Rainmaker into a German suplex and hit Storm zero herself for a false finish. Storm released the Texas Cloverleaf for no reason to knock Baker off the apron. Hater hit a breaker on Storm for a near fall. Baker was on the ropes pulling off a turnbuckle pad when Storm ran Hater into her. Hater was completely unfazed by that. She just threw Storm right into the exposed turn- turnbuckle herself and then hit Hater aid to win the title in 15 minutes. Commentary sold it as Hater earning the win despite her having a shit ton of help. You know, I'd say credit to AEW for letting the championship change breathe. There were three matches in particular on the show, two title changes and the Soraya match, which we'll talk about a little bit later, where they did not rush us off the finish. They allowed us to see the victor celebrate and the fans to cheer them. It's not a tough concept. They've never done it, AEW, in their history. Three years into the company, they finally did it tonight. So I want to give them credit for that. Now, this match was really tough to judge. The first two thirds of it, I thought were boring as sin. The final five minutes were chaotic, but they were also filled with interference. Storm kicked out of so much shit only to lose anyway, which was meant to keep her strong, but it was also like an overbooked mess and totally ridiculous. I mean, how many things is this woman going to kick out of? They tried to paint Hater as like a tweener who didn't ask for help and also didn't cheat herself, even though she got tons of help and benefited from it by winning the title. As a booker, you frequently have to decide between giving fans what they want immediately and doing what makes the most sense in your storylines. I don't think Hater needed the title here, especially as a heel alongside Baker. Imagine if her title win came at Baker's expense or after they had broken up and she did it on her own as a babyface. 
You have to think about it. In two main event title matches on this show, they had the young, quote-unquote, homegrown uh, challenger win, both 26, 27 years old, both of them by cheating, neither of them clean. And you say to yourself, well, didn't both of those need to happen simultaneously? To me, they didn't. So I disagree with the booking, but the grade is based on not what I wanted to happen or what I would have booked, but what we got. I thought it was very good, not great. I'm going to say 3.5 stars and a B. I'd probably give it like a, a B plus in terms of the wrestling. It was a bit slow at first, but we don't off. It, 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 it was slow, but it was it was still good wrestling. And it was it was time that we don't typically get for women's matches on AEW in general. So I'm glad they got time to even go along. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, it got. Too chaotic at the end with. I mean, it was. I just want to. I just want to correct. It was 15 yeah. minutes. I think for a AEW Women's Championship pay per view match, that's generally what they get. I yeah, I guess it. it, it yeah. I guess. It, I guess I would have guessed. I would have guessed longer. It, it seemed like it went longer. That's because so much shit happened in the final five minutes. Yeah, it, there were so many kickouts at the end. So my issue here is the same thing as MJF in that the fans are fully behind Jamie Hader. So why do you have her get help to win from the heels and then also have commentary say, well, the help didn't really matter. Like she earned the win. It was just like way too many things happening at once. Just let her get the win. What there was like, why, why did, why did Brit and them need to come down? Like ultimately what was the point? I, 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 if you were immediately going to say it doesn't matter if, or it doesn't directly tie into the finish, it just got too chaotic there at the end. I think I picked Tony Storm to win this. I'm actually okay with them. I, I, I'm, I'm good with Jamie Hayter winning. Crowd again. Crowd was really into her winning. This, this felt like a crowning moment for her that they didn't expect everybody would be behind her at um, all out. And so now they're coming back to it. They're giving her the title. Similar thing with the acclaimed. Like, it makes sense. It, it, it totally, I totally get it. I just don't know why you had to emphasize that she's a heel by bringing Britt Baker out and, and stuff like that, which is, was kind of weird. You're right. I, I think I said on the preview, the, the ultimate moment for Jamie Hayter would be she takes the title off of Britt. That's kind of her crowning moment. However, she may be cooled off by then. So I'm cool with doing it now. True. And I'm and I'm wondering if the next story is Britt tries to take the title off of her. Gets jealous that, of her being champion. Yeah, yeah. and, and that yeah. creates the, the the face turn, which could totally work and make sense. Um mm-hmm. I just don't think you I just don't think you needed Britt in that match, really. It just it, it, it was strange. But overall well, a good you, match. You didn't need both you didn't need both of them. You didn't need both of them. So yeah. they could have had Rebel come down with her and get knocked out at some point, and then Britt comes down and does one set of interference. Yeah, it was it, just it so like, much. Like, it looked like it looked like Jamie Hader might have been surprised by uh, the first interference that she was upset by it or something. But then Britt came back later, and it was pretty clear Jamie Hader saw it and she took advantage of it. So again, just kind of just kind of weird mixed signals uh, on that. But um, still liked it, and I think there's a lot, a lot of lot where they can go from it. For sure. So let's go ahead and move to the trios championship match, Death Triangle defending against the returning Elite. So the Elite entered to carry on Wayward Son by Kansas. Don Callis and the heel crew was with them. I thought it was a pretty nice visual overall. Uh, Callis jumped on commentary doing his same shtick. 
while there were welcome back chants and then fuck CM Punk chants from the crowd. <laughs> uh, the crowd was on fire for this. They were literally selling every move. Doesn't matter if it was a hurricanrana, a super kick, a punch, a Canadian destroyer. The crowd sold every single thing that happened in this match. And a lot happened, um, despite me skipping major parts of the match to try to cut this down. Pac did a great flip out of Omega's jumping leg lariat. We got a bunch of great Young Bucks Lucha Brothers sequences, but the tagging, it did basically stop after a couple of minutes. It was basically a tornado match without being one. Matt Jackson hit a springboard DDT, putting Ray Phoenix into the apron. Nick then did an insane avalanche hurricanrana from the top rope outside into a pile of people. There was a choreographed triple tombstone pile driver spot. Phoenix did a shoulder splash off his brother, who did a Canadian destroyer. Then Pac did a black arrow into a brutalizer on Omega. Pac threw Phoenix the bell hammer. He refused to use it. Omega caught him with a V-trigger and a Tiger Driver 98 for a false finish. Pentagon ate a triple super kick. Phoenix took a poison on it and BTE trigger for a broken fall. Pac pulled out the hammer, but Nick caught him with a super kick inside and a corkscrew outside. Matt did a moonsault outside. Omega hit a V-trigger. Pac gave Phoenix the hammer while he was hanging on the ropes. And Phoenix finally decided to use it out of pure desperation while he was up in the one-winged angel, rolling through the move for a pinning combination and a surprise one, two, three, with Death Triangle retaining the titles in 18 minutes and 30 seconds. This was an exceptional match, okay? You know my one gripe. If you're not going to tag with any consistency, just make the thing tornado rules. The trio's <laughs> division should just be tornado rules at this point. Yeah. Besides that, okay? This banged. Uh, there was a ton of inventive stuff along with all the classic sequences we've seen between these guys and all of their rivalry matches. Was it a spot fest? Absolutely. Uh, there are always spot fests. But they finally added what I felt was some actual storytelling with the hammer and Phoenix yeah. reluctantly using it when he basically had no other choice. It helped the heel face dynamics. It also showed the importance of the trio's titles where this guy is faced with this dilemma. Do I lose the titles because I can't, you know, get out of the one-winged angel I can't kick out? Or do I hit this guy in the face with this hammer that I really don't want to do? I'm going to use the hammer so we can retain our titles. I thought this was one of the best booked match finishes in AEW history for the storytelling relevance aspect of it, the fact that it countered expectations of a title change that we all had. And beyond that, the wrestling was superb. It was super, super exciting. I went 4.75 stars and an A-plus for this match. This was terrific. And I have to start off by saying that the Elite's return was awesome. They nailed it. It felt big. I got feelings watching it. Like, that's exactly what you want when someone makes their big return after being away for a period of time. Complete opposite of the Kenny Omega return with that long speech thing. Mm -hmm. This was great. I, I, I thought the, the, the return entrance was awesome. Match was out of control, like just exactly what you'd expect. It, it was a lot of spots, a lot of fun. It was just super fun stuff. And, and you, you kind of have to ignore the tag rules, like you said. And the hammer thing was interesting. And commentary did a good job explaining it because I didn't quite get it at first because mm -hmm. I because I hadn't watched a ton of AW over the past month. But they explained it and I got it. And you could you could tell the struggle that Ray Phoenix was having with that, because Death Triangle has always been kind of in this weird spot where like Pac is so clearly a heel. But Ray Phoenix is 
kind of a face. And so, like, it doesn't totally, like, there's just, they're different kind of people together. And this is Ray Phoenix being like, all right, you gotta, you gotta do what we do if we're gonna win this match. And he did it. That was great, great storytelling. And yeah, I give this probably like, give this an A, 4.5 stars. It's super fun. Good to see them back. And I realized that, you know, I, I had said I hadn't watched much of AW over the past month. A big part of that was because of the lack of BTE. That's honestly one of the major ways I just stay in tune with AEW. We haven't had that for a couple months now, and hopefully this means the return of of, of BTE. And uh, yeah, just good to see everybody back. Now, I do have a couple more things to mention before we move on. Omega get it, being the one who got pinned, I thought was completely unexpected. And in doing so, it also legitimized Death Triangle as the champions. They mm-hmm. weren't the interim champions anyway. They were the real champions. But everyone felt as if they were placeholders. And this kind of reinforced the fact that, no, they're not. They're the actual champions. Now, my expectation was that the elite are still going to win the titles coming up. And I had a specific date in mind for that. But we're going to get to that in a minute because there was an announcement that happened later in the show. The other thing I want to talk about before we get to that announcement is you could tell watching this match that Kenny Omega rushed back way too soon a few months ago. He was not ready to return to the ring. He looked about 60, 65% himself a few months ago. Tonight, this was Kenny Omega. This was 95%, the same Kenny Omega that we're used to seeing. I thought it was a night and day difference. And this is the guy I've been missing. This is the guy I've been waiting to come back. Agree. He looked great. And we, we weren't sure when he came back a couple months ago. You know, he had the sleeve, he had the shirt. He didn't really, it was just like, is this a is this a bit? Is 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 he really not ready? And yeah, I, I think I would agree with you. He probably was not ready, and I think you can see that now. And one more thing. So get this. AEW announced later in the show, Death Triangle versus the Elite is going to be a best of seven series Oof. with these teams basically fighting every single week for the next two months. <laughs> and I was just astounded by that booking. Like, how does that work? Is the title on the line every time? Is it only on the line <laughs> for deciding matches? And then you see it and they already scheduled the seven matches. So you're just going to assume it's going to go to seven because they're all scheduled yes. out. They're not like, well, the next three, like, you know, like when you do an NBA playoff series, right? They tell you that everything through game four and they're like five, six, seven, if necessary. You know, but these are all basically completely scheduled out. And the seventh gives it away because it's at the forum in Los Angeles. The Young Bucks, obviously, from California. And Kenny Omega either lived in California or just because he's with the elite, he's there a lot. Obviously, working in New Japan, he would go in and out of California to Japan a lot. Point is, California is their home territory. Now, we can talk more about this on Thursday's show. But I was just dumbfounded by this, Chris. Like, I figured we'd get one rematch with the Elite winning at Winter is Coming. That was my expectation. This is like the ultimate monkey's paw. Like, the Elite are back. That's awesome. (laughs) Now we have to see the exact same match for two straight months. And I'm sure some of them will be surprise in a short roll-up finish. And others will be absolute bangers like this one. But, like, I'm not trying to say too much greatness is a bad thing. But, yeah, maybe it is. Because... If you're getting these awesome, crazy matches every single week, it really degrades the specialness of getting it at a pay-per-view like this. So 
I don't understand this booking at all. It's wild and crazy to me. Maybe it ends up working at the end of the day. It just seems completely unnecessary. Right. I think it's it's possible that if you're just hit over the head with the same type of thing seven weeks in a row, that we'll just be sick of it. And there'll be just be complete spot fests that don't even aren't even as good anymore. Or they're going to have to top each other every single time and get crazier and crazier. I don't know. I, I first off. Why do they deserve this spot? So they, they deserve the well. Hold on, they deserve the rematch because the Which champions cheated to win. I guess so. The elite do deserve one rematch. Do they deserve six? I, no, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I don't get it. I don't have the. I don't have the answer for you. The only I, I think back to the Cesaro Sheamus best of seven that they mm-hmm. gave us, and and at the time we were like seven. This is way too much it's gonna right. be boring and it was boring at times but by the end of it we got the bar like it, it became a thing and it, it had it a purposeful helped. end correct it it helped both of them in the end so hopefully there's some plan for the end of this if it's look the, the first few of these you know coming off this pay-per-view man it's gonna be great crazy stuff look at all these flips and everything they're doing by like week five and six i don't know if we're gonna be that into it anymore so Yeah, I mean, I've already been tired of Young Bucks Lucha Brothers, that, you know, specific foursome. This freshened it up because Pac and Omega are incredible and putting all them together, you you had different interactions and it was really, really exciting. But yeah, like, I don't know how many more times I really want to see this match, but whatever, you know, again, we'll have to see what happens, right? And how it plays out. But at this point, it is a little bit surprising. Uh, the tag team championship was on the line. The acclaimed defending against Swerve in our glory. This was the rubber match in their series. Max Caster was really strong on the mic. He actually did a double uh, rap this time leading into it. Some really good lines on uh, Swerve in particular. Keith Lee had new three-quarter length pants. And he also took a really bad spill on the ring apron early in the match. I thought he was legitimately hurt. Commentary made it sound like they thought he was hurt. Legitimately, not kayfabe. He was totally fine. So great. Uh, Castor's mouth got busted open. He had a flying leg drop on Keith. Acclaim did a pump knee on Swerve into a Castadora lifted cutter. The barricade got propped diagonal off the apron to the floor. Lee saved Swerve from falling into it, only to eat a crossbody by Castor flying off the ropes through it. Huge spot. Swerve hit a rolling flatliner and four head kicks, but Bowens just like kicked out. Uh, he also missed the Swerve stomp. Acclaim hit the arrival and mic drop, but Lee broke the fall. Swerve came back with a brain buster. Keith pounced Bowens. They hit the fall from glory on Caster for a 2.9 false finish. Fans were distracted by something in the crowd for a while. I think it was a fight in the crowd. Uh, Keith swung Caster and then powerbombed him into Owens. Swerve went to use the pliers on Caster that he used on Billy Gunn to break his fingers. That was never really explained. Uh, So Billy Gunn ran down and didn't do anything. He just got ejected. Uh, Then he brought them inside, the the, uh, pliers Swerve did. And told Keith to use them on Bowens. Why Swerve wouldn't use them, I have no idea. Uh, Keith obviously threw them away because he's a babyface. So Swerve slapped him across the face and screamed at him. Lee lifted Bowens off the canvas, patted him on the back, and then just walked out on Swerve. Uh, acclaimed eventually won with an assisted flip over driver. We discussed how this match could be used for storyline purposes for the breakup. And that's exactly what happened. It's just tough when you have a three match series and you're doing a rubber match. And 
it doesn't fully play out to play to pay off the three match series. And it's really just a storyline match where the champions retain the titles. And sure, it was hard fought, but like in the end, they didn't really accomplish anything because they beat a guy two on one. Right. So, you know, this wasn't bad. Uh, There were lots of moments that were entertaining, lots of good action. I didn't think it was memorable in any way. Uh, particularly when you compared it to a lot of other things on this card. There were a lot of other matches on this card that I'll either remember or I'll go back and watch or I'll at least think about. And this will never be one of those. Their first match will be, but the second and third just aren't. Uh, Swerve was the MVP of this entire thing. I'm going to do 3.25 stars in a B. Yeah, this was this was tough because the first match surprised everybody like nobody expected that and you realize oh man the acclaim were super over they should win they didn't win uh okay we're gonna run it back not as good but still good the acclaimed win by this point it's like we were all just waiting for the swerve keithley breakup i don't think Mm -hmm. any of us thought swerve and keithley were gonna win so the expectations are just instantly lower um in terms of the, you know, given given Keith Lee the, the pliers, I can understand it. So Swerve basically was like, I got to see if you're as hardcore as me, you know, right now. And if you're not, then. But but it was the know, same kind of finish tough. as the trios match. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's totally different fine. outcome, yeah. but the same finish what, 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 for the most part. My, we can t- kind of talk about this at the end, but one of my biggest issues with AW right now is that while things are generally solid, a lot of it feels the same. And this is, that's a good example of that right there is doing kind of the same type of finish. I'm just saying in, in the context of why Swerve would give Keith Lee that. Yeah. I mean, you, you can make sense of anything though. In wrestling, yeah. Just I mean, like, cause you, know. you, you just said, you said like, you know, for, for whatever reason. And yeah, it, um, we got the breakup. We got where we needed to go. The acclaimed are still the champs. The acclaimed are, are not here to be the amazing wrestlers who we put over their matches. Um, we got an extra wrap. It all worked. It was fine. It did what it needed to do. Just consider we've covered four of 13 matches on this card. All right. And I did it. I'm trying to do the breakdown here in order of like what was most important, right? Not necessarily what was best or anything like that. But in these four matches, the four out of maybe five, the next one we're going to talk about, most important matches on the card. All four involved weapons in the finish. Mm-hmm. Two of them um, involved uh, partners wanting the other partner to use the weapon. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we had the two main events that both resulted in title changes because of weapons. So, yep. I mean, you talk about repetitive. That's repetitive. It just is. like So, in a that- vacuum, each one individually, I don't really have a problem with it. But when you look at it wholesale, all four of them, it's like that was all in the same show. Yep. You know, that's what that's what I mean by everything kind of feeling the same. Yeah, it's harder. It's harder harder to stand out when everybody's doing the same. thing. And this happens consistently on AEW pay-per-views. And it's it's actually almost always just AEW pay-per-views where this happens, too. So it's, it's very odd that that's the case, especially when, like, you're booking this for three months and you have it laid out on paper. And don't at the end, you look at it and you say, well. Weapon finish, weapon finish, weapon finish, weapon finish, title change, title change. Like, don't you like look at that and say, oh, maybe we should switch one of these up. And the hater one would have been a great example of one to switch up. Anyway, let's go to the other major women's match on the card, Soraya against Britt Baker. 
Uh, Soraya's brother was in the crowd. She got a nice response on her entrance. Nothing spectacular, I would say. Uh, Baker started with mostly neckbreaker moves to target Soraya's soft spot. It was kind of off-putting and the crowd really was not into it. Soraya did a splash off the apron and countered a fisherman's neckbreaker into the nightcap. Baker hit an air raid crash and a stomp for a near fall. Soraya kind of missed a powerbomb, but hit Rampage for another near fall. The move went unnamed. Uh, Soraya blocked Lockjaw and hit a pump knee. Baker hit a fisherman's neckbreaker and a second stomp for another false finish that I'm not even exaggerating. It barely got a reaction. Soraya hit a second pump knee and Rampage two more times and got the win in 14 minutes. I thought it was funny that she hit her WWE finisher three times and they didn't come up with a new name for it so they could actually call out what it was, you know, like a grip DDT or whatever you want to call it. Um, But that's the move. And then after the match, Soraya was really emotional hugging her brother. So the crowd was just dead for this match. And I was kind of surprised by it. Like throughout the whole match, it was quiet. They didn't really sell for anything. Now, after the bell, Soraya did get a really sweet ovation. And like I said earlier, AEW lingered to allow her to celebrate a little bit with the crowd. That was good. I found this match very tough to evaluate, though, because it felt like finisher spam. Soraya kicked out of a lot of stuff after not wrestling for years. There was a lot of sloppiness. That's partially because that's how Britt Baker wrestles. It's also partially because Soraya hasn't wrestled for years, as I just said. So she's rusty, and that's to be expected. So I went 2.75 stars and a C plus. That's not to say it was bad or that the women didn't do a good job. It's just that was the quality of the match. It was, you know, good. It was it was entertaining to some degree, but it wasn't great. And the crowd, despite this Soraya being this big signing that was supposed to be a huge deal for AEW, the crowd really didn't react to her for the vast majority of the match. Uh, what I thought was most important coming out of it was Soraya being healthy and finding a new level of comfort in the ring that she hasn't had in a while. Both of those were achieved. If you compare this to the CM Punk return match against Darby Allen, it just doesn't even hold a candle to it. There's nothing wrong with it, but if you're making the comparison, it just wasn't as good as that. First off, great to see Soraya back. It, you know, going five years away from wrestling, she's still only 30 years old. It's wild. Like she yeah. should still be wrestling for for a long time. I think they called her like a 17 year veteran in the match because she's been wrestling since she was a kid. Just it, it's really great to see her back. She's been through a lot. Very, very happy about that. Did you did you see Fighting With My Family, the movie I did, about yeah. her? Mm-hmm. It was good. It was actually really solid. I, I thought it was going to be corny or whatever. Very good. Florence Pugh, uh, uh, Lena Headley. It's, Florence um, Pugh is very good, just in general. It's, it's, yeah, it's very good. Very good. And, and her brother being there made me think of that. So mm-hmm. that was cool. Um, yeah, match was not great. Soraya said in the post in the media scrum that she felt rusty and that Britt kind of carried her through that match. Um, so it seems like you know she knows she has work to do to get back. But sure. good to see her back. She gets a win. Not that great. 12 minutes, 30 second match was a bit long. That's an example of one you could probably cut back on. 100%, yep. Um, and the other thing was, you mentioned she hit her finisher three times. That's been a thing in AEW recently where like new people have to hit their finisher like several times in a match to get the finish like right off the bat. That just devalues it right up front. You want to make that you want to make that move strong in the beginning. <laughs> you know when it when it debuts, you win on one of them, not three of them. So that was weird, but uh, yeah, it's good to see her back. All right, let's go to the Ring of Honor Championship match. Chris Jericho defending against Brian Danielson, Claudio Castagnoli, 
and Sammy Guevara in a fatal four-way. On Rampage, Jericho and Guevara were interviewed. Jericho reiterated his plan to keep the title with JIS, specifically with him. After he left, Sammy said, we'll see about that. Jericho was also on commentary, and he just no-sold being concerned about Sammy the way he said that, you know, at, at that moment. So let's move to full gear. Uh, the BCC guys shook hands before fighting one-on-one a few minutes into the match. They each had one of Jericho's legs for a full crab when Sammy hit a flying double cutter onto both guys. Fans didn't pop at all for it. It was a pretty great move. Instead of popping, they chanted, fuck you, Sammy. Uh, this crowd was very curse-heavy in their chants. And, you know, it was Newark, New Jersey, you know, scum of the earth. I'm kidding. I know that a lot of you listeners from, are from New Jersey. Uh, but it, it was Newark and... It was a very adult crowd is probably the best way I can put it. It was consistent throughout the entire show, but it was also hot and very excitable for basically everything except the women's matches. It was really strong for almost everything else. Uh, Jericho, anyway, held Guevara off from even attempting falls. Sammy did a crazy cannonball flip out of a hurricanrana. Then he hit a Spanish fly on Brian. Jericho hit both with a lion salt for near fall on Brian. Uh, Jericho had a chance to do a fall later when Guevara broke it as a retribution. They started fighting with each other. Sammy hit Jericho with a code breaker. Uh, he responded, Jericho did, with Walls of Jericho. Then he stopped Brian flying at him to put Walls of Jericho on him. Claudio finally returned after like 10 minutes at ringside doing nothing. BCC put Jericho in a label lock and sharpshooter simultaneously, but Sammy broke it. Jericho hugged him, but Guevara pulled him into the GTH and hit a shooting star press for a 2.9 false finish. Claudio threw Sammy out of the ring into Jericho. Brian caught him blind with a psycho knee for a 2.9 false finish that got the first huge pop of the match. As I said, a lot of stuff had already happened. The crowd just wasn't popping for it until it looked like Brian might actually win. The BCC guys had a long sequence with counters. Sammy took Claudio off the top rope for a flying cutter, and Brian also with a Spanish fly immediately after it. Claudio took Brian out with a neutralizer outside. Sammy drilled him with a shooting star press outside. Claudio caught him flying for a pop-up European uppercut and swing. Jericho caught Claudio with a flying Judas effect while he was doing the swing. And then once he was on the ground, a second Judas effect to retain the title in 21 minutes. Now, far be it for me to say a match went on too long, because I always complain about matches being too short. This felt like it should have been five minutes shorter. There was just a ton of repetition. And again, finisher and false finish type of spam. The Sammy part of the match, I just couldn't help but think while I was watching it, why wasn't Daniel Garcia in that spot, given the storyline he had with Jericho? Daniel Garcia would want to pin Jericho and try to take the title off of him. Why did they not pay that off and instead put Sammy in the spot? I just couldn't figure that out. But that said, Guevara again proved that he's outstanding in the ring. If he learned to sell a little bit better, I mean, holy shit, this guy has such potential. All four of them were great. We got the right winner. The action was strong. Only briefly, though, did I think Jericho might lose, and that was on one of the sequences with Brian. After that, it just became a matter of time until he won. Very strong four-way. I went 4.25 stars and an A. Yeah, 21 minutes, 30 seconds, just two minutes shorter than the main event, second longest match on the card. This was, it was a fun wrestling match, and it was enjoyable to watch, but... I've said on the Ring of Honor, or I've said on the preview, I just, I don't care about the Ring of Honor stuff at all. And I don't know if we're getting a Ring of Honor TV show or not. Tony Khan said in the media scrum that he's still optimistic about it happening, but he's been saying that forever. I don't know. There's a Ring of Honor pay-per-view coming up. 
near me here in the Dallas area. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to it. So I don't know what this future of ROH is. Um, I, you know, Jericho's got a belt. Everybody's got a belt. It's fine. The match was fun. It went on too long for something that ultimately does not mean anything, basically. That, that's, I think, the biggest issue. Because you're right. You didn't have the Dan, the, the Daniel Garcia storyline in here. It, it just You didn't have that. So there, it was just basically the Ring of Honor title. And the Ring of Honor title means literally nothing. So, sure. Okay. Uh, Jericho later said that his tiff with Guevara was competitiveness, not dissension. Jericho put Sammy over as a future world champion. Orange Cassidy walked up saying Tomohiro Ishii wants to fight Jericho for the title on Dynamite because he's a former ROH champion of some kind. Jericho said Ishii used to get him coffee back in Japan. Jake Hager then wanted an All-Atlantic title shot also. So Orange said okay because that's just how these title shots happen with Orange holding the championship. It's like it's in a backpack. Someone's like, what's that? He goes, it's a title. Do you want a shot? It's so random the way it happens. So both of these were booked. Ishii is one of my favorite wrestlers, so it pops me that he's going to be on Dynamite fighting for a title against Jericho. That should be a really good match. But both of these are just title matches for the sake of doing title matches. I thought it was really weak. Uh, I don't think you have a take on it, but do you before I move on? No, not really, other than we. I was going to save this more for the um, the pre-show, but like there's just... AEW still just like, oh, here's random person who's not in the company fighting somebody known. And it's like, yeah, I'm tired of that. I like I like Ishii. He's fine. I've seen him a couple times, but like, I don't care. Like, I want a story. I don't just want here's another person to just have a fun wrestling. Oh, my God, we're getting X versus X. I just I don't care about that anymore. I want I want stories in this company more. And that's just whatever. Tony Khan did kind of revive himself a little bit with some good storytelling on this show. But if you had asked me 24 hours ago to describe him, I would have described him as a matchmaker, not a booker. Because yeah. he makes really good matches, but he doesn't necessarily book us strong storylines to get there or coming out of it, right? For a long time, he was really resting on the laurels of the Hangman Page storyline. It's like, oh, see, they do long-term storytelling because of that one story. Now here with MJF, you know, not as long-term, a little bit shorter term, Really strong storyline. The stuff with yes. uh, Pack and Death Triangle and the Hammer, good stuff there. Uh, Swerve on Our Glory, good stuff there. In, in the next match we're going to talk about, we can discuss whether there's good stuff there as well. Um, but but he is more of a matchmaker than he is a booker. At least that's the way I kind of break it down. And that's not the worst thing in the world because AEW is supposed to be more of a work rate company than it is sports entertainment, right? So. Theoretically, his uh, positive attributes fit that type of booking better, right, than it would in WWE, for example. But at the same time, if you take this pay-per-view out of the conversation, you look at the last four or five months, really the entire year, actually, you kind of look at it and you're like, has his booking been that great? Not really. Has his matchmaking been good? Yeah. AEW's put on a lot of really good matches. So that's the way I differentiate between those two things. Uh, let's move to Jungle Boy against Luchasaurus inside a steel cage. This opened the main card with Jack Perry blading in under two minutes. Uh, to my utter shock, I think it was the only blade job on the entire show. The other two times that people got color was legit. Actually, it was three times. Two people busted their mouths open and uh, Tony Storm busted her nose open. I think 
Uh, wait, did Brian Danielson also? I'm trying to I think. I think he did. But I, I think remember. I also think that was like legit. So I think, I think so. this was maybe the only blade job on the entire show. But it did happen two minutes in, and I found that funny. It eventually became a full crimson mask for Jungle Boy. Christian Cage stole the key to the cage and unlocked the door. Now, before the match, commentary made a huge deal about this being a steel cage match where only pinfall or submission mattered, a real cage match. And I thought that whole thing was a shot at WWE, but it was actually to set up what happened next. Now that I think about it, it was probably a little bit of both. But (laughs) what happened next was security dragged Christian away Luchasaurus exited the cage to stop them. Jungle Boy also exited. He hit a catapult into the cage. Luchasaurus threw a table and two chairs into the ring. Jungle Boy went on a run. He got cut down before hitting a running Canadian destroyer, leaping off a chair for a one count. That was followed by Christian's kill switch for a near fall. Luchasaurus chokeslammed him through an open chair. Jungle Boy came back with an avalanche sliced bread. Luchasaurus sat up Undertaker style, so Jungle Boy... Also did, screaming, you were my friend at him. thought that was kind of corny. Luchasaurus yelled for him to stay down. Jack wiped his own blood and then slapped Luchasaurus and lifted him into a pile driver. Luchasaurus came back with a tombstone pile driver, followed by a falling front slam. Jungle Boy choked him out on a table, added a chair shot to keep him on the table, then climbed to the very top of the cage for a falling elbow drop. The table barely broke. But Jungle Boy immediately followed with snare trap and he got the submission victory in 19 minutes. Then he climbed up and over the cage to celebrate with his family at ringside. I thought this was an exceptional match. It was a great choice of an opener. Even though I've been really critical of the build to this, this excelled in telling their own story in the ring. There were some yes. big spots. Uh, there was the Shawn Michaels homage by Jack. And the finish really brought the entire thing home with just that one spectacular move off the cage. Now, they really should have thought it through better because the spot where there's not really a big point of impact, just an elbow into someone, it's not going to have that big explosion of the table that you want. You should have just done a splash. It just would have been way, way, way better. Um, But from bell to bell, this was extremely well done. Uh, The commentary set up them leaving the cage and why it wasn't the finish of the match. It all worked. Uh, Was it the best cage match I've ever seen or cell match? Definitely not. Was it super entertaining and a great opener? Definitely. 4.25 stars and an A. I think this was my match of the night. Just just in terms of the story that they told in this match. I I, I thought uh, from beginning to end, these guys, you know, former tag team partners fighting each other. I know you think that you were my friend thing is corny and it was, but like that was the story. And and even if they didn't tell a great story coming into the match, I thought this match itself did. Jack Perry working underneath the entire time. The, the beginning of the match for a while, uh, you know, when, when commentary is like, is this really going to keep going? Luchasaurus is just destroying him here. And then the, the Christian thing was weird, but I was glad it got him out of there mm-hmm. because my, my biggest issue is why is this about Christian? Like they, they were almost hinting like he's got to get through his best friend to get to Christian. Like, who really cares about Christian and whatever he's done? The story is Jungle Boy Luchasaurus. And so I'm glad it got Christian out of the way. With all of that, I thought these two deserved a much, much better pre-match video package. Like, tell me their whole story. Like, we've criticized the build to this match. 
Tell me that story in the video. Talk about when they first met each other, when they became a team, pictures from back in the day. Like, tell like tell me that story in the promos package. So then we get to the match. Like, oh man, these former best friends are fighting each other. Oh man, I feel bad for that. And they're like, do that. The the the, the pre match promo videos for AEW continue to largely be not that great. But for this one especially, when the this is a this was a feud that was not built on dream match or great wrestling. It was built on emotions and feelings. And I would have just liked to have been given that a bit more going into the match. I think both of them did the best they could in the situation to tell that during the match. Um, and I loved it. I thought this was great. As someone who loved it, did you think it uh, that I undergraded it? Or are you along the same lines as me? What'd you give it? 425. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, like, I, I don't necessarily think um, like the, the my favorite match is the best wrestling match. Mm-hmm. Like, I just I, mm-hmm. I thought I thought this match told the best story of anything and it was really exciting and entertaining. So it was my that it was just my favorite match of the night. OK, so we have the TNT championship on the line. Wardlow defending against Samoa Joe and powerhouse Hobbs in a triple threat match. Wardlow hit a flying senton on Hobbs. Joe missed a running senton after that. Wardlow caught Joe with a one-armed spinebuster. Joe did a tope suicida into both guys outside. Hobbs pounced Joe into a barricade and hit his spinebuster on Wardlow. After a couple counters, Wardlow had a great like transition powerbomb on Hobbs, and then he hit three total as part of his powerbomb symphony. Joe then grabbed the TNT title, drilled Wardlow with it, and put the coquina clutch on Hobbs for a knockout victory in 11 minutes. Wardlow and Hobbs gave respect nods to each other after the bell while Joe took the TNT title along with his ROH TV title and walked up the ramp. This was definitely like an unexpected to some degree booking here in terms of the winner, but I did think it was a smart way to get the title off Wardlow, which is what we assumed was the purpose of making it a triple threat match. If you're going to do that, you don't want someone to take the fall. And in this case, they didn't want Wardlow to take the fall, but they did want to take the championship off of him. Now we wait and see if the TNT title gets unified with the ROH TV title, or perhaps that happens if Wardlow wins them back from Joe. Like if they do a rematch at Winner is Coming, since Wardlow technically did not lose, they could potentially do that. Then Wardlow could win and they could merge the titles. Anyway, uh, what we did get here was some big meaty men slapping meat. Big meaty men slapping meat. And there was a lot of beef out there. There's a lot of beef out here. No water, no bread, just meat. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. And it's a really good thing, Chris, that they reinforced the ring post because there was a lot of beef flying at night, gentlemen. Reinforce the ring post. The beef's going to be flying tonight, gentlemen. But that said, praising the beefiness of this, I want to make it clear. This did not hit as hard as I expected. Not even close, actually. So I'm actually giving it three stars and three slabs of beef out of a total five. And I got to say, I was kind of disappointed about it. Yeah, I was surprised you gave it all the the drops. Because I just like the wasn't, drops. That's, that's yeah, there just there wasn't as much beef flying around out there as I expected. I, I was hoping for just all kinds of big power moves. And there, there were a handful in there. There was some good, good stuff, but... A lot of it was just wrestling. And I was like, all right, uh, that's fine. But like, again, 
everything in AEW feels the same. This match should have felt completely different than everything else on the card. It should have felt like Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley. Just just yeah. as an example, as one example. And it and it just it didn't because everybody kind of tries to wrestle the same. So uh, it's it's fine. I like the finish. I like Wardlow losing, but you know, being the one who kind of did the damage to get Samoa Joe the win. Please unify those titles. Ring of Honor can't have a TV title when it doesn't have TV. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Correct. Uh, we just get rid of some of these ROH titles. Um, or at least just put them on ROH people who are not on AEW TV all the time. Samoa Joe's awesome. Him, him having the Ring of Honor TV title and doing whatever that is instead of being involved in AEW stuff is holding him back. He's still Samoa freaking Joe. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad he's got the TNT title. Hope he can do something good with it. Wardlow's run was largely forgettable. They did not have a plan for him after he beat MJF. So this is now an opportunity to kind of reboot Wardlow a bit, find a story uh, again, do something with him. I like the result. I like the finish. Match is kind of whatever. Three slabs of beef is fine. But um, yeah. Yeah, three out of five is a disappointment. It just is. The, the, The meat slapping was too gentle. That's really the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you mentioned my actual extra takeaway that I was going to drop, which is that, yes, this did prove that Wardlow's TNT title reign was unfulfilling and handled extremely poorly. Like, given how hot he was after beating MJF and then still after winning the TNT title, this was just a huge waste of time in the end. The only difference between Wardlow's reign and Hangman Page's AEW world title reign is Hangman got to have good matches. But both of them lacked cohesive storytelling, decent storylines, character progressions, all that type of stuff. It was just a total waste. Now Wardlow doesn't have the title. And you wonder, like, what is next for him? Definitely he could, you know, go after Joe and try to win his title back. Either at Winter is Coming, Final Battle is another option for that to happen. Myriad ways that they can do it. My expectation is he's going to stay feuding with Joe. I don't know why this would end it. It seemed like with the nod to Powerhouse Hobbs, they got each other's respect. They're no longer going to feud. But then using Hobbs as like a conduit to get to Wardlow and Joe, that's disappointing because Wardlow-Hobbs would have been great. And if they had Wardlow beat Hobbs in a singles match and then lose to Joe, it would have been even more impactful, even if it was in a triple threat. So, you know, I just didn't love what they did here. But, you know, I don't know if you have any more to say about it, Chris, but I do agree with you that, This was kind of a microcosm of Wardlow's title reign in that it wasn't good and it was underwhelming. I shouldn't say this wasn't good. It was just underwhelming. Yeah, it was it was fine. We just we were hoping for a lot more. We were hoping for AEW to do something that it doesn't normally do, which is big Hoss stuff. And they didn't really do it. So, um, yeah, Wardlow's very talented, but they got to put the time and effort to develop him as a character. And again, like you don't need to put all this time into bringing outside people into the company from time to time. Use that time to figure out how to tell stories. Wardlow's a guy who needs a story. Uh, Darby Allen and Sting fought Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, oh, this boy. was changed to a no disqualification, no countout match, seemingly on a whim. I mean, it just <laughs> kind of happened. Uh, now, it was the right stipulation because there was two old dudes involved in the match. But still, it just kind of happened. Uh, Jarrett yes. brought down dudes in Sting masks. There was a body bag on stage with smoke to distract the heels. I cannot tell you how much I hate the body bag gimmick. It's just, yeah. it, it kills me. <laughs> I, I, it is the most annoying it thing. It's the stupidest thing ever. 
it doesn't mean anything when he's in it every other week. Yeah, or not in it. And it's a distraction. It's, it's just crazy. Uh, Darby ran through the smoke and the body bag area to lay out some of the heels with his uh, skateboard. Then Sting appeared behind Jarrett in the ring. Darby climbed a ladder for a trust fall off the stage. And he was going to do it into Jeff Jarrett, but Jarrett was like nowhere to be found. And then when he did the trust fall, Satnam Singh just appeared there and caught him. He put him in a crucifix and then just tossed him onto the ramp. Sting and Lethal fought into the crowd. Sting jumped off a barricade into Lethal and Singh in a really poor spot. I mean, Sting just now has to do this in every single one of his matches because it gets a pop. After Stinger splashes in the ring, Singh stepped in to chokeslam him. Jarrett got the guitar. Darby did a flip over stunner on Lethal. Jarrett then used the guitar to slam Darby in the back while he was doing a coffin drop. Sting put Singh in a scorpion death drop stance with Darby hitting the coffin drop to take him down. Darby did his tope on Jarrett. Uh, Sting caught lethal injection for a totally botched scorpion death drop. And then Darby added a coffin drop to get the win in 11 minutes. Lots of Sting, Sing, death drops and coffin drops there. And I actually got them all right without flubbing. So I'm giving myself a little Barry Horowitz pat on the back here. Uh, This was brutal as far as I was concerned. Now that said, the guitar shot on the coffin drop and the scorpion death drop coffin drop combo spot on Sing. Both of those were tremendous. They were yes. really awesome parts of the finish. But two spots do not a match make. This would have been perfect as a dynamite main event. Entertainment, excitement, big spots, legendary names. As I said on the Ultimate Preview, this just did not belong on full gear. I went 2.5 stars in a C. And I give it that grade to say it actually exceeded my expectations because of the finish. You know what my biggest takeaway is coming out of this match is, is Satnam Singh. I think he looks the best coming out of this match. He wasn't even he ca- in the match, he, and he, he was, was the best part of the match. You're yes. Right? They 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 added the they added the no DQ for no reason other than probably just to get him in. And there was basically a point where you're just like, this is just a three on two match. Like he's just in the ring. It was a three on two match, right? <laughs> and they but, still lost. It was three on two with yes, a giant, yes. and they still lost. Yes, yes. But him catching Darby Allen on the coffin drop. The scorpion uh, death drop part, the choke slam. That was the first time I was like, all right, like I could see something out of Satnam Singh here, like especially in a company with so many small guys, like he stands out. He's different. Like I was just like, hey, those are some fun spots with him. I'm not saying put him in a one on one match with Wardlow and see how he does. But it was like, oh, like I can I can see you can do something with this guy. Um, And that's that's my only real takeaway of the match. Jeff Jarrett, love a good guitar shot. Looked to be in pretty good shape. Good for him. This didn't need to happen overall, though. Uh, the TBS Championship, Jade Cargill against Nyla Rose. Nyla came out with Vicky Guerrero in a lowrider like it was 1996. Jade was dressed like a Thundercat. Nyla hit No, no, her- no, 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 no. It was, it was, uh, I believe, was it Thundercat or was it Cheetah? The, the, so I heard some people say it was the Wonder Woman villain. No, it was, they said it was Thundercats. Okay. Because all three of them might be dressed right. up, I think. Oh, you're Whatever. right. Yep, Thundercats. No, oh, yeah, that's right. It's it was it was Chitara from Thundercats. Yeah, that wonder. There's no way that she's dressing up as that shitty Wonder Woman '84 villain. The, that movie the cheetah, sucked. Yeah. No, no I, let, I let's the, let's let's do a 30 second time out here. 
That movie yeah. sucked. Incredibly disappointing. Really, After the first one was really very bad. good. I, I watched it and I was like, I can't believe how bad this is. Like, there's, like, I literally thought that. There are so few occasions where like a movie will come on on my TV and, and it's a movie I've seen before and I'll immediately turn it off. When I'm randomly watching HBO and that comes on, I, I cannot find the remote fast enough. That's how bad that movie is. By the way, we also talked about this briefly. I saw Black Adam over the weekend. Uh, we'll talk about it next week or something like that. Uh, I have thoughts on The Rocks movie and that's okay. actually applicable to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast because The Rock obviously is the star. Maybe we'll discuss it on Tuesday's WWE show. I digress. Let's get back to this match. Uh, Nyla hit her diving knee on Jade with her hanging over the top rope. The lone bright spot for me in the match was Cargill doing Rose's beast bomb for a near fall. Just the strength that it took Mm -hmm. for her to do that on Nyla Rose was super impressive. Uh, Nyla clunkily rolled through Jaded as an attempt, then hit Jade with her own finisher for a near fall. But then she missed a senton bomb. She ate a pump kick and Jade hit Jaded to retain the title in eight minutes. This got totally screwed, I want to be clear, by its placement on the card because it came immediately after the trios match. It had absolutely no chance to succeed, even if it was great. But if you actually look at the crowd, the seats were empty because everyone was like running to get beer or to go to the bathroom or get food or whatever the case. This was the popcorn match three matches into the show. Now that said, once everyone got back to their seats for the finish, Jay did get a nice cheer for the retention, but the whole match was just absolute death. The finisher exchange was smart because both women are big and strong, so they're able to do each other's finishers and make them look impressive, but this was not a good match by any reasonable evaluation because I'm being kind, I'm giving it two stars and a C-. minus. Yeah, look, I said in the preview that like on paper we should have been like really excited about this match because Nyla Rose, I think is very good. And Jade Cargill obviously has a lot of potential, but the build to this was terrible built around Nyla Rose, just stealing the title and the match was not great. I I, I did like the do each other's finishers part. I liked doing those things to show off their individual strength. That's how you lean into not no pun intended, the strengths of them mm-hmm. but overall you know jade pay-per-view matches continue to leave a heck of a lot to be desired here's the thing everyone this is what everyone says about jade cargill she's great presence true she has some yes. star power or a star yes. look of a star true yes. she's improving give her time to improve false she's not she's just not she's she not is. getting better um her ceiling is not as high as people say it is because she's not getting better in the ring. And candidly, I don't find her entertaining at all. I don't think she's a good promo. I don't think she's good wrestling. It To me, it's a huge disappointment. When she first came on the scene, I was like, wow, AEW really has something here, especially over the next two years. She's going to get better. She had the entire pandemic to improve. Didn't. She's now, you know, she's been champion for the TBS this entire time. Hasn't improved in any significant way. Jade Cargill is the exact type of person who should be in the WWE Performance Center, who Mm -hmm. after a year of constant work with those trainers and with that other high level talent, you could put her on TV. And I'm not saying she'd be Bianca Belair because Bianca Belair is one of one and there's no one like her, but she could be a very consistently capable in-ring wrestler. Let's call her like Liv Morgan or something like that, right? Where you see the match and you're like, 
That was really good. That was entertaining. I am not entertained by her matches and I don't buy her really in any way other than the fact that she's big and strong. It's the best way I can put it. Yeah. We, we, you know, we know Jade is an incredibly hard worker because of what she's done physically, how she looks. Also Clearly. A, yes. A, 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 as a, as a mother, as uh, some of the outside of wrestling work that she does, she works incredibly hard. You just wish she could be in a spot. It just feels like she's not in a position to improve because well, she has to be the best right now. She's the champion. Like, like, it, 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 there's she doesn't have these opportunities to like take losses, learn from them. Correct. You know, like I don't know what the travel schedule is. I don't know how much she trains or doesn't train or, or can train. But you're right. It's an example of like just take three months and go to the like take three months and hang out in the WWE Performance Center and like figure things out there. But like I don't know if the, I don't know if you can do that in AEW. So well, they do. Words. You know, Dustin Rhodes has the school that he Nightmare Academy or Factory, whatever the hell they call it. And, and theoretically, you know, she could do that. But you, you, the point that you just made is a salient one, is that it's their booking of her that is not allowing her to progress because they made her TBS champion and they made her undefeated. And if she can never lose and she can never look bad because they want her to be dominant, then there's no learning. There's no growing. There's no progress. And it's she's completely stunted. It's very similar in many ways to Goldberg in WCW. Yep. The difference is, it's 2022. It's not 1997. So you, or whatever year Goldberg was. So you could have gotten away with that back then. You can't get away with that now in a company that's all about work rate, high quality wrestling. She's, it's a square peg round hole yep. situation. And because they gave her the title and they did this with her, she was kind of doomed before she started in many ways. Yep. Agreed. So, all right. Move to the zero hour show. Uh, there was an AEW eliminator quarterfinal match. Uh, sorry, no, semifinal match. Uh, Ricky Starks against Brian Cage. Before we get to that on Rampage, we had Starks against Archer in the quarterfinal. This started with a backstage brawl as Starks promised. Starks was wearing dress pants and a devil's jersey, which I thought was weird. Archer choke slammed him on the apron. Starks no-sold a bunch of stuff. He caught Archer with a spear for the win. Cage trash talked after the bell that distracted Starks. Archer hit him in the back of the head and then choke slammed him into an upturned pair of steps. Really, the entirety of that was underwhelming. The attack made sense, keeping with Starks continuing to overcome adversity. So that brought us to the semifinal match. Ethan Page joined for commentary. Starks had his shoulder taped and he wore a shirt the entire match selling the injuries. Cage dominated until Starks countered him with the tornado DDT springing off the ropes. He countered again for a spear off the ropes with the 2.5 count. Cage followed with a buckle bomb and a power bomb for a near fall. But when he missed a flying senton, Starks countered him into a Canadian destroyer that went completely unsold. Uh, the execution of it was actually fantastic. I just didn't like the fact that it wasn't sold. Then he came back with a flipping front slam for the win in eight minutes. The obvious and correct winner here, Starks, and the expected match story was Starks selling his injuries to make his victory feel even bigger. He got a great pop after the pinfall, which is really all that ultimately mattered. There were lots of spots, not really great sequences, I thought, until the end, but it was still really entertaining. I went three stars and a B minus. Yeah, really good. Solid stuff, expected winner. You know, we, we weren't sure on the preview if they were going to have two matches on this card or what. They're going to have the main event. They're going to have the Eliminator Championship match next or next week, this week, whenever. Um, yeah, this told a good story. Smaller guy versus bigger guy dealing with injuries. Boom, it worked. Really good. We also had Eddie Kingston against June Akiyama. 
Uh, on Rampage, Kingston and Ortiz fought uh, Konosuke, Takeshka, and Akiyama. This started slow, but there was a hot run in the middle with Takeshka cleaning house on a hot tag. Ortiz ultimately ate a knee to the back of the head and an exploder with Akiyama getting the pinfall. This match was basically held to give Akiyama a win so that Kingston had a reason to fight him one-on-one and that he seemed legitimate. But this was already so random and out of left field in terms of a booking that they should have just booked the zero-hour match and left it at that. Now, before full gear, AEW announced that Takeshka has officially signed. He's uh, all elite. This was a long time coming. He's legitimately a top-tier prospect. And aiding that is that his English speaking, it's quite good already. And he's only going to get better. We talk about AEW signing a lot of people unnecessarily. This is not one of those instances. Great move signing Takeshka. So we'll go to the match at zero hour, Kingston, Akiyama. Kingston was emotional and nervous backstage because this is his dream match. He bit Akiyama's ear on the ropes and hit a spike DDT inside. Kingston hit one back fist for a near fall, but Akiyama avoided the second one and hit a knee without his pad. Kingston countered a Northern Lights bomb and then hit the back fist one more time for the win in 10 minutes. Eddie sold emotion after the bell. He bowed to June. He returned that respect. Kingston grabbed the mic afterward because there was extra time and he just ranted about a bunch of stuff. Uh, and that led into the pay-per-view. And he's basically just cursing. You got to buy this show. I'm excited for this match. I'm excited for that match. It was really, really funny. Kingston on the mic. Uh, the match was good. The post-match was hysterical. Good moment for him. Uh, three stars and a B minus here also. Look, ultimately, it's the zero hour. So it really doesn't matter all that much. But like Eddie Kingston versus random Japanese guy I've never heard of just nothing for me. Uh, yeah, like, I, I, yeah. I know there's just there's so much of this in AEW where they just bring in so many people over from Japan. Who, it's a dream match for Eddie Kingston. Okay, like, what? Why are we doing this here? Like, it, it, it's just like, I don't know who this guy is. They, they try to tell me. I appreciate the attempt to tell me. But, like, we could be using this time for other people or telling longer stories. And we're just... This is an this is the example of being matchmaker versus Booker, and I was just like, "All right, cool, good for Eddie Kingston. He seemed to really want it." But like, I want Eddie Kingston involved with somebody with AEW, cutting great promos like he was doing with Moxley, with CM Punk, with Jericho. Like, that's the that's the Eddie mm-hmm. Kingston I want to get back to. Not just not this kind of stuff. And lastly, we had best friends against the Factory in a ten man tag team match on a Rampage. They all stood off. Orange Cassidy said. He wanted a five-on-five match. Rocky Romero stepped in as their fourth. And then a video played with Danhausen dropping like teeth or something on a table. The factory shrugged it off. I'm not going to get bothered by a low-card feed, but this was completely idiotic. Uh, the match, this opened everything on the entire show. QT Marshall had a running cutter on orange. Danhausen entered the match with a jar of teeth with everyone down <laughs> outside. He had new music and a darker evil gimmick despite still being a comedy guy. Uh, QT just let orange tag him. Uh, he ran through everyone and dumped the teeth in Nick Camarado's mouth adding a kick for the one, two, three. Then he put a spike into QT's head after the bell. The best thing I can say is this was the kickoff match of the kickoff show. So it was like <laughs> the first thing that everyone got. It didn't matter at all. For Danhausen fans, I'm sure it was cool. Two stars, C minus. Actually, I'm changing it. 1.75 stars, D plus. Nah, like, look, it wasn't a great match, but it, it, it perfectly fit what it was. This is this is just, you do a fun tag, you do a fun 10 man on the on the... Zero hour, you get some laughs. That's it. That that it's not amazing wrestling, but it was what it needed to be. Now, what was the teeth thing? What was I missing with? That? <laughs> I have no idea. 
I don't okay. know. Okay. Because because fans were chanting teeth, teeth, teeth. You know that you know that Twitter joke about like sitting at the dentist office and everybody's pounding the table chanting teeth. I don't think that's no. what it was, but that's I what it made me think joke. of. I don't know that I don't know any of that. No. It, it's a very, I don't know that joke. I don't know why he had a jar of teeth. I don't know why he had a spike. I didn't understand the jar of teeth. It, I, I had a lot of questions. About that. Right, let's let's but not. It was like it was funny. It was funny. It was fine. It's nearly 2 a.m. on the East Coast. Let's let's just end this as soon as we possibly can. Look, let's go talk about uh, well grades for the entire show. Right. We just broke down everything that went down on AEW full gear instant analysis style. That's how we do it here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Now, let's break down our grades uh, for AEW Full Gear. We'll start with the pre-show expectation grades. On our ultimate preview, Chris thought this show would be a B plus. I gave it a B. And you all are getting overheads on Twitter in our pre-show poll. You voted 18% A, 53% B, 22% C, 6% D to F, averaged out to a B. So you all aligned with me expecting a B show, but there were 18% A that thought it would be a little bit better. In our post-show poll, the final percentages are 42% A, 37% B, 19% C, and 2% D to F, which obviously this was not a D or F show. But when you average that out, it actually averages out to a 3.8, which is a B plus. A little bit surprised by that, even though the majority, of course, is an A, but when you combine the Bs and Cs, it does bring that average down. So, Chris, the getting overheads, our listeners thought this was a B plus show. I always let you give your grade first here on the instant analysis. What say you? What is your final grade for AEW full gear? Yeah, my my pre-show expectation was a B plus, and I I think I'm there. I think I'm about a B plus. We got a new world champion. We got a new women's champion. There were some 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 fun stuff in there. There was some boring stuff in there, but nothing outside the pre-show, nothing on the main card I thought was awful. Probably the Jade Nyla Rose was the worst thing, but everything else was fine. It was fine to good. So I, I'm going to stick with, with B+. I'm struggling here because I am right on the edge of B plus and A minus. I, I, there was some really, really good wrestling on this show and some good storytelling and, um, and match booking from Tony Khan. And I, you know, I give him a lot of criticism and he deserves it, you know, the vast majority of the time. But what I always say is that a show is not the sum of the match grades. You know, it's, there's about much more than that. It's one thing to grade work rate and quality of, of wrestling. But it's quite another when you look at like the overall package of the entertainment that you're getting. And I'm kind of struggling here. So why don't I go ahead and give you my final thoughts on the show? And then at the end, maybe a grade will come to me. I thought this was very much a return to form for AEW, this show. They really needed to deliver a high quality pay-per-view coming out of all of the controversy from Brawl Out. A lot, Chris, of lackluster television as of late. And really, the last few pay-per-views they haven't necessarily been that good. I'm not saying that they haven't been good, but AEW, I think it was like 2021 All Out, maybe. That was just an, an exceptional show. And you said to yourself, man, why can't they all be like that, right? Um, well, you can't have Adam Cole and Brian Danielson. Debut. You can't. No, you can't. But even beyond that, that was a really good show from top to bottom. And I think this was 
definitely their best pay-per-view since All Out 2021. One of the reasons why is the pacing I of disagree. it was so good. What I liked is that it was easy to watch it. Moments got to breathe. Um, there were too many matches once again, yes. And there were a number of matches that shouldn't have been on the show as we discussed. But the match order was largely solid. And there was really some good thought put into the match finishes. What I had an issue with is that there's a little too much fan service going on right now. And I think it's Tony Khan trying to make good because of the CM Punk situation. But we saw what happened where the acclaimed got cheered heavily. And then Tony's like, well, I should put the titles on them because the fans like them and, and why not? So he did it at Grand Slam, right? And then now on this show, the fans recently have started cheering for Jamie Hayter a lot. So he put the championship on her and MJF gets major cheers. So he put the championship on him. And the first two, uh, MJF and Hayter, are heels who get cheered. Hater could have been a face in the spot if she did the turn on Britt Baker, as we talked about before. But the positive about these three uh, people, I was gonna say three people, these uh, three sets of people, MJF, Hater, and then the acclaimed, the duo, all being champions, is that they're all quote unquote, homegrown AEW talents. And MJF and Hater are young, the acclaimed a little bit older, but it's refreshing and different to see all those people holding championships in AEW at the same time. It's just that all of it happening simultaneously is not the decision I would have made. I like the idea of them all having championships and being champions. I just wouldn't have necessarily done it all together with two happening on the same show and three happening in a very short window of time. So this was a very, very good pay-per-view with a lot of very, very good matches. And I know I'm using basic vocabulary there, but when I break that all down and I try to figure out, was this great? Was this memorable? Am I ever going to watch this pay-per-view again? The answer to that is no. I will probably watch MJF Mox again, mm-hmm. and I'll probably watch the Elite Death Triangle again. I don't know that there's going to be anything else that says, oh, hey, remember that awesome show? You should go watch it again. So because of that, I'm giving it an 89 out of 100, a B plus, but I got to tell you, super close to an A minus. I, I was not close to an A minus. To me, this was clear B plus. Like you said, n- nothing other than MJF wins the title and maybe the elite. There's nothing where you're like, man, what, what are we going to remember from this show? There was this and this and this. No, it was just it's basically MJF winning. That that's that that's the story of the show. This was and we said going in not a one match card, but you were going to buy this pay-per-view because this match was on it because that main event mm-hmm. was on there. That's about all it was. Yeah. To, to your point about, you know, what the last couple of months have been like for AW, I do feel like this show maybe stopped the bleeding. It has been a brutal month plus of television that I've stopped watching week to week, partly because I'm busy, partly because it's just, nothing's been happening i went i stopped watching for a month i came back and it felt like nothing had changed I, I, jungle boy has said this closes the chapter on the luchasaurus thing like let's move some of these people forward now into new things this feels like it could be the start of not a new era but the start of a new direction for a lot of people the elites back yeah like, i'm optimistic now we that. can n- now right. we can move forward here after the drama and everything that was terrible over the past couple of months so 
Um, I, 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 I don't know if I necessarily say this was like a big step forward. I think it was with MJF, but more than anything, it it stopped the stopped the bleeding, and I think now things can move back forward in a positive direction. You made a point, um, on Twitter, and you texted me that Dynamite this week leading into the show was their lowest uh demo since june i think lowest demo lowest overall viewers since june 15th and there was no major competition to cause that yeah yeah so not going in a good direction there i do think this i do think mjf is champ can send you back in a right direction um hopefully so yeah i I think it's, it's not been great but this is a chance to i think get get going forward again but they've got to just they have to change things up i said it multiple times on the show everything feels the same yeah like you got to do different things it's got to be more of a variety show i'm tired of the somebody from japan comes in and we're having a match like that's not it's not going to get you viewers like i know it's all about like hey they've got the core amount of viewers here but like it's got to be more than that right like it's clearly not growing necessarily and now with mjf as champion it definitely has the opportunity to do that because the guy is a spark plug. And if you saw it, uh, his post-show uh, scrum, he comes out yes. and he stands in front of Tony and he stands in front of the table and he just looks at all the media and he's F this, F that, I'm the greatest, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But it, it, it was done well. I mean, I'm really butchering. I'm not actually saying what he said because I I saw it briefly before we started recording the show and I can't he said, listen he, to it. He, he said like, taping. thank you, fuck you, bye. <laughs> yeah, he quoted Jim Cornette. And like, yeah, he, so... Yeah. But but it was it was impressive, yeah. the energy and enthusiasm and ability to connect and emote that MJF was able to kind of share in a improv moment, walking out. You know, I didn't see the whole thing, so again, I don't really know what else. It, happened it wasn't very long. You want to know what else he said though? He said, "I'm going to get in my jet and go to my movie set because he's going to be in that Von Erich movie yeah. with uh, Zac Efron." I think. He, yeah, he's one and, of the. Um, non-major parts that is a Von Eric. Yeah. To the best that, of my yeah, that's that's yeah. that's a big deal for him. That could be a big deal for AEW to get that kind of attention. Again, this is star of the company type of guy. It's gonna be cool to see him in this role now. Yeah. Um that that's uh that's um that's good. Well it works together, right? Um he, he also you, said he also I wrote this down. He said he said on the he said while he's like pounding the table he goes on the microphone in the ring nobody can touch me. I don't know if he did this on purpose or not, but that's exactly what CM Punk said during the pipe bomb. He 100% did it on purpose. Yes. <laughs> so he probably did that. So I just, I caught that. I wanted to note it because that was well done. Yeah, no, I mean, MJ, MJF's great. And, you know, with him as champion, it's things definitely feel fresh. I mean, right now we don't even, you can't even say, okay, it's obvious this person's going to take the title off of him, right? Because there's numerous options. You have potentially a Ricky Starks, a Wardlow, a returning John Moxley, Brian Danielson. I mean, you could pick anyone right now and they could very well be the person to take it off MJF, Miro. I mean, where the hell is he? This, Eventually he's going to come back, right? This is going to be a long reign. It will be. It will be a long reign uh, and it's exciting. And, and what I will say, we can maybe end it on this, is like I mentioned, AEW, it's really, there's been some damn good dynamites as of late, like not last week, but a couple weeks prior, there were some that were just, Banger match after banger match, really entertaining two hours of TV. But for the vast majority of the last few months, it's been lackluster television. And on Wednesday night, am I extremely excited to turn on Dynamite? Not really. It sometimes feels like a little bit of a chore. And then I watch and I'm pleasantly surprised. 
at some of the things that I get. This Wednesday, I want to tune into Dynamite. I want to see mm-hmm. what MJF's going to say. I want to see if Jamie Hayter actually gets to cut a promo now that she's the women's champion. I want to see who steps up as tag team challengers, what happens with FTR if they get involved. Does Hangman Page return? Do we see House of Black? Lots of stuff can really go down. Mox exiting opens up a door potentially for other people to certainly get a lot more TV time. Regal turning and working with MJF, as I mentioned earlier, could spell the end of uh, BCC, which suddenly opens up Brian Danielson and Cesaro, Claudio Castanoli, I mean, Wheeler Yuta to do their own different things. It also ends the never-ending BCC JAS view that we've been sick of. So there's so many fresh possibilities all starting right now. And we'll find out Wednesday whether we actually get those or if it's much of what we've been getting recently. So um, B plus pay-per-view from both, from all three of us, you, I, and the getting overheads, pretty much everyone in alignment, maybe different levels of B plus, but all of us very much enjoyed the show. Um, I would actually go ahead and venture to say, based on our grades, uh, they were probably uh, the getting overheads at an 88. You were at an 87. I'm going to add an 89. I thought it was a little bit better than you two, but pretty much the same thing. Nevertheless, uh, it was great breaking down everything that went down uh, tonight across AEW full gear. As you can tell by me rambling here in the finish, it is now 2 a.m. on the East Coast. And Chris and I have been up for quite a while. So let's go ahead, cut things off. Allow me to remind you a couple things on the way out of here. First, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So go ahead, head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Give us some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a moment, leave a review, five-star review. And if you do, we'll read it right here on the podcast. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Episode drops, news, videos, and gifts. Fun stuff all week long. And a great place for you to DM us and send us tweets that we will read live on the show. Questions, comments, you do it at Getting Overcast. Chris, thanks once again for joining us. For Vintage, this is The Silver King signing off. We'll be back on Tuesday with our WWE episode. But it's time for us to go. I will now leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.